Chapter 15 of Fantomas by Marcella Lane and Pierre Souvestre. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alan Winteroud. Fantomas by Marcella Lane and Pierre Souvestre. Translated by Cranston Metcalf. Chapter 15 The Madwoman's Plot. When Dr. Biron built his famous private asylum in the very heart of Passe, intended, according to his prospectus, to provide a retreat for people suffering from nervous breakdown, or from overwork, or overexcitement, and to offer hospital treatment to the insane, in order to secure a kind of official sanction for his institution, he took the wise precaution to proclaim from the housetops that he would enlist the services of ex-medical officers of the hospitals. This idea was a shrewd and a successful one, and his establishment throve. Pere and Simbadal were having breakfast, and also were grumbling. I shouldn't curse the meanness of the management quite so much if they didn't put us on all the jobs, said Simbadel. Hang it all, man, we are both qualified, and when we undertook to assist Dr. Biron, we did so, I presume, in order to top off our theoretical training with some practical clinical experience. Who's stopping you? Perret inquired. How can we find the time when besides all our actual work with the patients, we have to do all this administrative work, writing to people to say how the patients are and all that. That ought to be done by clerks, not by us. Isn't one job as good as another, Perret retorted. Besides, we are the only people who know how the patients really are, so it's common sense that we should have to write to their friends. They might let us have a secretary, anyhow, Simbadel growled. Perret saw that his friend was in a bad temper, so did not try to carry on the argument. Say, he said, you ought to make a special note of that case of number 25 for your thesis. She was in your ward for about six months, wasn't she? Number 25, said Simbadel. Yes, I know. A woman named Rambert, aged about 40, hallucination that people are persecuting her, anemic with alternate crises of excitement and melancholia, punctuated by fits of passion. Treatment, rest, nourishment, anodynes. You evidently remember the case distinctly. She interested me. She had marvelous eyes. Well, what about her? Why, when she was moved into my pavilion, the diagnosis was bad and the prognosis very bad. She was supposed to be incurable. Just go and see her now. Her brain is restored. She's a new woman. He came to the table and picked up some notepaper. I wrote to her husband a day or two ago and told him he might expect to hear that his wife had recovered, but I imagine my letter miscarried, for I've had no answer. I have a good mind to write him again and ask for permission to send her to the convalescent home. The mischief of it all is that this Etienne Rambert may want to remove her altogether, and that would mean one paying patient less which would put our worthy doctor in a bad temper for a month. He turned to his correspondence, and for some minutes the silence of the room was only broken by the scratching of pens on paper. Then an attendant came in, bringing a quantity of letters. Perret picked them up and began to sort them out. None for you, he said to Simbadel. Not one of those little mauve envelopes which you look for every day and which decide what your temper will be. I must look out for storms. "'Shan't even have time to grouse today,' 
Simbadel growled again. You forget that Swelding pays us an official visit today. The Danish professor? Is it this morning that he is coming? So it seems. Who is this fellow? Just one of those foreign savants who haven't succeeded in becoming famous at home, and so go abroad to worry other people under a pretext of investigations. That's why he wants to come here. Wrote some beastly little pamphlet on the identology of the superimaginative. Never heard of it myself. The conversation dropped, and presently the two men went off to the wards to see their patients, and warned the attendants to have everything in apple pie order for the official inspection. Meanwhile, in the great drawing-room, elaborate courtesies were being exchanged between Dr. Biron and Professor Swelding. Dr. Biron was a man of about forty, with a highly colored face and an active, vigorous frame. He gesticulated freely and spoke in an unctuous, fawning tone. "'I am delighted at the great compliment you pay me by coming here, sir,' he said. "'When I started this institution five years ago, I certainly did not dare to hope that it would so soon win sufficient reputation to entitle it to the honor of inspection by men so eminent in the scientific world as yourself. The professor listened with a courteous smile, but evinced no hurry in replying. Professor Swelding was certainly a remarkable figure. He might have been sixty, but he bore very lightly the weight of the years that had laid their snows upon his thick and curling, but startlingly white hair. It was this hair that attracted attention first. It was of extraordinary thickness, and was joined on to a heavy mustache and a long and massive beard. He was like a man who might have taken a vow never to cut his hair. It covered his eyes and grew low upon his forehead, so that hardly a vestige of the face could be seen, while further, all the expression of the eyes was concealed behind large blue spectacles. The professor was enveloped in a heavy cloak, in spite of the bright sunshine, Evidently he was one of those men from the cold north who do not know what real warmth is and have no idea of what it means to be too thickly clothed. He spoke French correctly, but with a slight accent and a slow enunciation that betrayed a foreign origin. I was really anxious, sir, to observe for myself the measures you have taken which have set your institution in the forefront of establishments of the kind, he replied. I have read with the very greatest interest, your various communications to the transactions of learned societies. It is a great advantage for a practitioner like myself to be able to profit by the experience of a savant of your high standing. A few further compliments were exchanged, and then Dr. Biron suggested a visit to the various wards, and led his guest out into the grounds of the institution. If Dr. Biron did not possess that theoretical knowledge of insanity, which has made French alienists famous throughout the world, he was certainly a first-rate organizer. His sanatorium was a model one. It was situated in one of the wealthiest, quietest, and airiest quarters of Paris, and stood in a vast enclosure behind high walls. Within this enclosure, a number of small pavilions were built, all attractive in design, and communicating by broad flights of steps with a beautiful garden studded with trees and shrubs but further subdivided into a series of little gardens separated from one another by white latticed palings. You see, Professor, I rely entirely on the isolation principle. A single block would have involved a deleterious collection of various types of insanity, so I built this series of small pavilions, 
where my patients can be segregated according to their type of alienation. The system has great therapeutic advantages, and I am sure it is the explanation of my high percentage of cures. Professor Swelding nodded approval. We apply the system of segregation in Denmark, he said, but we have never carried it so far as to divide the general grounds. I see that each of your pavilions has its own private garden. I regard that as indispensable, Dr. Biron declared. He led his visitor to one of the little gardens, where a man of about fifty was walking about between two attendants. This man is a megalomaniac, he said. He believes that he is the Almighty. What is your treatment here? Professor Swelding inquired. I am aware that the books prescribe isolation, but that is not sufficient by itself. I nurse the brain by nursing the body, Dr. Biron replied. I build up my patient's system by careful attention to hygiene, diet, and rest, and I pretend to ignore his mental alienation. There is always a spark of sound sense in a diseased brain. This man imagines he is the Almighty, but when he is hungry, he has to ask for something to eat, and then we pretend to wonder why he has any need to eat if he is the Almighty. He has to concoct some explanation, and very gradually his reasoning power is restored. A man ceases to be insane the moment he begins to comprehend that he is insane. The professor followed the doctor, casting curious eyes at the various patients who were walking in their gardens. Have you many cures? That is a difficult question to answer, said Dr. Biron. The statistics are so very different in the different categories of insanity. Of course, said Professor Swelding, but take some particular type of dementia, say hallucination of persecution. What percentage of cures can you show there? Twenty percent absolute recoveries and forty percent definite improvements, the doctor replied promptly and as the professor evinced unmistakable astonishment at so high a percentage, Dr. Biron took him familiarly by the arm and drew him along. I will show you a patient who actually is to be sent home in a day or two. I believe that she is completely cured, or on the very point of being completely cured. A woman of about forty was sitting in one of the gardens by the side of an attendant, quietly sewing. Dr. Biron paused to draw his visitor's particular attention to her. That lady belongs to one of the best of our great merchant families. She is Madame Alice Rambert, wife of Etienne Rambert, the rubber merchant. She has been under my care for nearly ten months. When she came here, she was in the last stage of debility and anemia, and suffered from the most characteristic hallucination of all. She thought that assassins were all around her. I have built up her physical system, and now I have cured her mind. At the present moment, that lady is not mad at all, in the proper sense of the term. She never shows any symptoms of reverting to her morbid condition? Professor Swelding inquired with interest. Never. And would not, even if violently upset? I do not think so. May I talk to her? Certainly, and Dr. Biron led the visitor toward the seat on which the patient was sitting. Madame Rambert, he said, May I present Professor Swelding to you? He has heard that you are here and would like to pay his respects. Madame Rambert put down her needlework and rose and looked at the Danish professor. I am delighted to make the gentleman's acquaintance, she said. But I should like to know how he was aware of my existence, my dear doctor. I regret that I cannot claim to know you, madame, 
said Professor Swelding, replying for Dr. Biron. But I know that in addressing you, I shall be speaking to the inmate of this institution, who will testify most warmly to the scientific skill and the devotion of Dr. Biron. At all events, Madame Rambert replied coldly, he carries his kindness to the extent of wishing his patients never to be dull, since he brings unexpected visitors to see them. The phrase was an implicit reproach of Dr. Biron's too ready inclination to exhibit his patients as so many rare and curious wild animals, and it stung him all the more because he was convinced that Madame Rambert was perfectly sane. He pretended not to hear what she said, giving some order to the attendant, Berthe, who was standing respectfully by. "'I understand, madam,' Professor Swelding replied gently. "'You object to my visit as an intrusion?' Madame Rambert had picked up her work and already was sewing again, but suddenly she sprang up, so abruptly that the professor recoiled, and exclaimed sharply, "'Who called me? Who, who called me? Who?' The professor was attempting to speak, when the patient interrupted him. "'Oh!' she cried. "'Alice! Alice! His voice! His voice! Go away! You frighten me! Who spoke? Go away! Oh, help! Help!' And she fled screaming toward the far end of the garden, with the attendant and Dr. Biron running after her. With all the cleverness of the insane, she managed to elude them, and continued to scream, "'Oh, I recognize him! Do go away! I implore you! Go! Murder! Murder!' The attendant tried to reassure the doctor. Don't be frightened, sir. She is not dangerous. I expect a visit from that gentleman has upset her. The poor demented creature had taken refuge behind a clump of shrubs, and was standing there with eyes dilated with anguish, fixed upon the professor, and hand pointing to him, trembling in every limb. Fantomas, she cried. Fantomas, there, I know him. Oh, help! The scene was horribly distressing and Dr. Biron put an end to it by ordering the attendant to take Madame Rambert to her room and induce her to rest, and to send at once for Monsieur Perret. Then he turned to Professor Swelding. I am greatly distressed by this incident, Professor. It proves that the cure of this poor creature is by no means so assured as I had believed. But there are other cases which will not shake your faith in my judgment like this, I hope. Shall we go on? Professor Swelding tried to comfort the doctor. The brain is a pathetically frail thing, he said. You could not have a more striking case to prove it. That poor lady, whom you believe to be cured, suddenly having a typical crisis of her form of insanity provoked by what? Neither you nor I look particularly like assassins, do we? And he followed Dr. Biron, who was much discomfited, to be shown other matters of interest. Better now, madam? Are you going to be good? Madame Rambert was reclining on a sofa in her room, watching her attendant, Berta, moving about and tidying up the slight disorder caused by her recent ministrations. The patient made a little gesture of despair. Poor Berta, she said, if you only knew how unhappy I am, and how sorry for having given way to that panic just now. Oh, that was nothing, said the attendant. The doctor won't attach any importance to that. Yes, he will, said the patient with a weary smile. I think he will attach importance to it, and in any case it will delay my discharge from this place. Not a bit of it, madam. Why, you know they have written to your home to say you are cured. Madame Rambert did not reply for a minute or two. Then she said, 
Tell me, Berta, what do you understand by the word cured? The attendant was rather nonplussed. Why, it means that you are better, that you are quite well. Her patient smiled bitterly. It is true that my health is better now, and that my stay here has done me good. But that is not what I was talking about. What is your opinion about my madness? You mustn't think about that, the attendant remonstrated. You are no more mad than I am. Oh, I know the worst symptom of madness is to declare you are not mad, Madame Rambert answered sadly. So I will be careful not to say it, Berta. But apart from this last panic, the reason for which I cannot tell you, have you ever known me do or heard me say anything that was utterly devoid of reason in all the time that I have been in your charge? Struck by the remark, the attendant, in spite of herself, was obliged to confess, No, I never have. That is... That is, Madame Rambert finished for her, I have sometimes protested to you that I was the victim of an abominable persecution, and that there was a tragic mystery in my life. In short, that if I was shut up here, it was because someone wanted me to be shut up. Come now, Berta, it has never occurred to you that perhaps I was telling the truth? The attendant had been shaken for a minute by the calm self-possession of her patient. Now she resumed her professional manner. Don't worry any more, Madame Rambert, for you know as well as I do that Dr. Biron acknowledges that you are cured now. You are going to leave the place and resume your ordinary life. Ah, Berta, said Madame Rambert, twisting and untwisting her hands, if you only knew. Why, if I leave this sanatorium, or rather if the doctor sends me back to my family, I shall certainly be put in some other sanatorium before two days are passed. No, it isn't merely an idea that I have got into my head, she went on as the attendant protested. Listen, during the whole ten months that I have been here, I have never once protested that I was not insane. I was quite glad to be in this place, for I felt safe here. But now I am not sure of that. I must go, but I must not go merely to return to my husband. I must be free, free to go to those who will help me to escape from the horrible trap in which I have spent the last few years of my life. Madame Rambert's earnest tone convinced the attendant in spite of her own instinct. Yes, she said inquiringly. I suppose you know that I am rich, Berta, Madame Rambert went on. I have always been generous to you, and higher fees are paid for me here than are paid for any other patient. Would you like to make sure of your future forever and quite easily? I have heard you talk about getting married. Shall I give you a dot? You might lose your situation here, but if you trust me, I will make it up to you a hundredfold if you will help me to escape from this place, and it cannot be too soon. I have not a minute to lose. Bertha tried to get away from her patient, but Madame Rambert held her back almost by force. Tell me your price, she said. How much do you want? A thousand pounds? Two thousand pounds? And as the attendant, bewildered by the mere suggestion of such fabulous sums, was silent, Madame Rambert slipped the diamond ring off her finger and held it out to the young woman. Take that as proof of my sincerity, she said. If anyone asks me about it, I will say that I have lost it. And from now, Berta, begin to prepare a way for me to escape. The very night that I am free, I swear you shall be a rich woman." Berta got up, swaying, hardly knowing if she was awake or dreaming. 
A rich woman, she murmured. A rich woman. And over the girl's face there suddenly crept a horrible expression of cupidity and desire. End of chapter 15 Recording by Alan Winterout BoomCoach.blogspot.com